So I was on retreat this week, which means I had a little extra time to, you know, read around the readings in the Bible. So, all right, buckle up. This might take a while. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, but, but only a little bit. So the rest of the story really does matter to help us gain context and understanding of today's readings again. Because in the first reading, you know, we hear this great thing that is done for the prophet Elisha. And so this Shunammite woman, it's really hard to say, like, Shunammite. I don't know. The word looks way different than it sounds or something. It messes with my head every time. Anyways, so she prepares a place for him to stay when they are with her. And Elisha, he is very thankful for this. And so he asks her, is there anything we can do for you? And she at first, you know, they cut this part out. She says, no, there's nothing. I'm good. You know, I'm fine. But they see beyond that, they see that she has this kind of inner longing for a child. And so Elisha makes this promise. He says, you will have a child. And she says, all right, don't mess with me, man. Like, don't mess with me. And he says, no, you're going to have a child the next time I see you. So she does. Indeed, she does. But then, you know, years later, he dies. So this, this boy, he dies. It's like, if you read the story, it sounds like maybe he got heat stroke or something while he's reaping in the fields, you know, and... Um, So he dies, and she's distraught. She goes straight to Elisha, and she says, Why are you messing with me? I don't understand this. Why did you give me this gift just to take it away? And so he comes, and he heals this, this child. But the story is meant to show us something else. Like the other readings that we hear today, it's meant to show us that through death comes life, because God never makes it simple. It's always a paradox with him, because he wants to just kind of blow our minds so that we are open to this great reality that is God, that is totally beyond anything we understand. Even the psalm today has this to it if you read on, because right now it sounds very happy and excited, but if you go on, we find the destruction of Israel in it. But at the end, they end like all of our readings did last week by saying we must praise the Lord even through this. So that theme is through the first reading and the psalm and the second reading and even the gospel that through death comes life. But the only way that works is with God. Now since I was on retreat, that got me thinking about other things too. It got me thinking about those big questions that we have. And I don't mean questions about big things like, what house should I buy, you know? I mean the kind of questions that can keep you up at night. The kind of questions that when you really grasp the overwhelming implications of that question, it freaks you out a little bit. The kind of questions that we ourselves cannot truly answer. But when we're being honest, they're the questions we most want an answer to. They're questions like, why do I exist? Or how do I, and all of this stuff around me, exist? What does it mean to exist? Or the one for me that always got me was, how am I me? As opposed to one of these seven billion other people on the planet. Or the billions who have gone before us. Or the countless angels. How am I like me and not one of them? And actually, like, I'm different, you know? 
I remember the first time that question really hit me. I've not told my dad this, but if he watched last night's Mass, he knows this. (laughs) But he was explaining the Our Father to me one night. And I was sitting on the couch. I think it was our brown couch that we used to have. It's not there anymore. They've replaced it with a piano. We have these two pianos next to each other, so we can make lots of noise in my parents' house. It's great. But that's beside the point, you know. At some point during this talk where my dad's talking to me about what these words of the Our Father really mean, this question popped into my head of how am I me? as opposed to all of these other people. And honestly, it still kind of freaks me out a bit when I think about it. Like, I'm not totally comfortable with that question. Because what it does is it reminds me that in the scheme of the entire universe, I am something very, very small. Something very small. But I have had 20 more years of life at least. I don't remember when that was. I was probably 10, so 23 more years of life. I had six years of seminary, and I can kind of start grasping at the answer now. I understand that I was wondering about consciousness, about personhood, and these, these things that I didn't have the words for. But what I realize now is that these things are a gift from God, and that's really the only explanation we can have. It was a gift given to me by God at the moment that my soul was infused into my body, when God worked in cooperation with my parents to create me. And it's a truly astounding gift to say that this gift that we all have of being here, of being us, To say that it's not an astounding gift would be to demean it, you know? Because if you think about it, it's so incredible. Life is so incredible and precious, and so we have to treat it that way. And so when we run into these stories in the Bible about death, and Jesus saying things like, through death comes life, it's not only natural, but perhaps a little bit healthy to start getting a little apprehensive. But ultimately, we have to talk about it. We must talk about death because that is a point in our life that marks where everything changes. You know, the empirical sciences that we value so much today, they can't really answer that question fully. They can tell you about the chemical processes they go on, but they can't really tell you what happens at death. If you want to, like, if you really dig into it, they can't even really define death and all agree on it. It's fascinating to me, actually, that they can't agree on when you're dead. Um, It probably shouldn't fascinate me, but it does. Um, And so... We can't help but wonder these questions about it, though. Like, when we die, where do we go? Like, because we all kind of have this feeling that that's not the end, even before God tells us it's not the end. Where do we go? Why does this happen? Those are more of those questions. But every single one of these questions about life, about who we are, about death, they have something in common. Humans have been asking them since we've been able to ask questions. We've 
never found the answers in science and experimentation and things like that that we do now. And even with the most all-encompassing science of them all, the great granddaddy of science, so to speak, which is philosophy, they've only been able to just kind of nip at the answer. If you read the works of like Aristotle and Plato, you see that, that they ask these questions, but they are never quite happy with the answer. To answer questions like that, we have to turn somewhere else. We have to turn to religion. We need to turn to religion because when we ask those questions, it makes us recognize that we are not the masters of creation that we thought we were. We don't have those answers in ourselves. We need religion because to answer those questions, we must approach that master of all creation. We must approach God. And asking him those things is something that has never proven easy to do. Religion is where we encounter God, where we encounter the divine. And that's an awe-inspiring experience. There's a reason that they called it fear of the Lord for a long time and still do. Because in that presence of God, we recognize where we sit. But luckily, our God has shown us that he is very merciful. In fact, he even knows what it means to be human because he did that. And he took that mercy and extended his forgiveness to all of us. And those questions that we have, he answered them. Now, he didn't come out and give us a discord on, you know, here, Father Matt, is the answer to existence and life and the universe and everything. We know the answer to that's 42. But anyways, sorry, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy jokes. They're bad. Anyways, he answered those questions, not directly, but he left them with his church. And for the last 2,000 years, the greatest theologians in all of history have pondered these questions. People like St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas, just to name two, St. Francis of Assisi, all of these guys thought about these questions. And so we have 2,000 years of thinking to start getting at that truth. And so now we can say... We know why God created us. Because he has this overflowing generosity of love that he desired to share. And he had to make us to share it. We know that after we die, we go and we see God. And we stand before the judgment seat. And that point we, dis- we, determine, we discover our eternal fate. Are we going to heaven or hell? And if we're going to heaven, do we have to take a little side trip to purgatory to get things cleaned up? I think a lot of us might be going there. I'm probably there, you know. It took a while to get to the priesthood, okay? But how is that possible? Because Jesus, the Son of God, became incarnate. He became man, and he suffered and died for us. And then he invited us to join him. He didn't just invite us to join him in his resurrection, though. It was also in his death. And so at our baptisms, we did that. When we were baptized, we were baptized into the death of Christ Jesus, as Paul says today. 
And in the gospel, Jesus teaches us this same thing. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, will find it. And so we have been called by Christ, by Paul, by all of these people to remember that every day we must die a little bit to ourselves so that we can make room for Jesus Christ, so that we can allow him to unite himself with us, so that we can become less like our sinful self and more like that perfect person, Christ Jesus. And if we cooperate with God, if we put on that goodness of Jesus Christ, that life that he desires to give us, then we will join him forever at that heavenly banquet. But it is a choice. We can refuse to cooperate and identify ourselves with him, and then we'll find that we don't go to the heavenly banquet. But Jesus tells us, take up your cross and follow me so that you might be worthy of me. So to truly live, we must follow Jesus. To be truly ourselves, we have to let that light of Christ transform us. To live our lives most fully, to most fully be ourselves, we unite ourselves with God. Because he is the source of life and all of creation and all of these good things. And as we are with him, he pours those, into, those things into us more and more each and every day. So how do we do this thing? How do we unite ourselves to God? We look at the example of those around us. First, we look to the Gospels, to the example left by Jesus Christ himself. But then we can look to the church this living creature that Jesus left on this church, maybe creature is not the right word, but this living thing that God left on this earth to lead us when the way gets confusing. That's why in the gospel Jesus today says that receiving a prophet or a righteous man or an apostle or even just a little one who needs some water that is a disciple of him is receiving Jesus Christ himself. Because not only do these people show us the example of how to live, but Christ lives in them. We, we're not just figuratively welcoming him. We are literally welcoming Christ into our lives. And when we welcome Christ into our lives, we welcome that creator who is the source of life. We invite him to breathe new life into us just like he did in a very special way for that Shunammite woman in the first reading. She welcomed a prophet, and by allowing God to stay with them through Elisha, he breathed a child into her in a lot of ways. It was a challenging gift for her. It tested her faith as her life went on, but it was an amazing gift. So we need to be ready for that. We'll be tested. We're told to take up a cross. A cross is not a fun thing to take up. But we can always be assured that God is with us throughout our entire life. He's confirmed his faithfulness 
so many times throughout history. Just look at the Old Testament and see how many times those guys turned away from God. And Peter in the New Testament, he turned away from him and denied him. And every single time God came back and said, just come back to me. He's always there waiting for us. He's never going to abandon us. And so, brothers and sisters, welcome God into your life. Ask him to help you do that hard thing, to die to yourself a little bit every day so that you can make that room and let him live in your heart so that he can bring that eternal life to you in a way now. Bring him those hard questions. Just ask him. Just, when you're praying, just say, God, help me understand this. Why do I exist, God? How am I me, God? God, today was awful. Why do I have to suffer? Just bring him to him. Be honest with him. Then, give him some time to answer you some silence so that he can speak to your heart. Remember, that's how God spoke to Elijah, not Elisha, Elijah in the cave, that whispering voice. Give him that silence so that he can speak to your heart. And I guarantee you that he will. You might not notice it at first, but when God speaks to your heart, what he brings with him is this peace and this love that's so great we don't even have words to describe it.